0: Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Before I forget, uh, we've had, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we used to, before COVID, at the conclusion of worship service, and when I usually close that part of service in prayer, I always ask the Sunday school students to come here to the front so that we as a family can be united together and, and sort of extend our hands to them and ask God's blessing upon all of our kids We do that because we believe in family, we believe in our children, we believe that we are the body of Christ. And so I've heard from a lot of parents, hey, why don't we do that anymore? Or I hear testimonies from parents that say, "You know, we used to love it when we would gather around the kids and pray for them, can we do that again? The answer is yes. So starting next week, we're gonna begin praying for our Sunday school students before they go to class and so in the, in the back section where I have some brothers and sisters sitting right now, we're actually gonna rope off that section, maybe two or three rows of seats. And that's where our kids are gonna be sitting during worship service. We wanna worship together. We want your whole family in our sanctuary together worshiping God. And then at the conclusion of worship service, we'll call them up, probably meet them all down here and we'll pray for them, pray God's blessing upon them. And then of course, dismiss them to Uh, Sunday school. All right. So just parents, remember that next week. uh, So perhaps don't drop off your kids on the fifth floor, bring them to church, to the sanctuary with you, and we'll, we'll conduct service in that manner. Amen. Don't we love our children? Praise God. Amen. Let's all open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Beginning last week, We're speaking on this new topic from Romans. The new topic is called behaving like a Christian or behave like a Christian. And last week we considered that topic in the context of the body of Christ. How should we think of each other in the body of Christ? Well, we talked about having our thoughts toward one another being thoughts of love and humility. We talked about being united with one another. And we also talked about the gifts, the gifts that, is, that are given to us by the Holy Spirit to be used for one another. And so behaving like a Christian began last week when we talked about how do we behave within the context of the body of Christ. But today, we're going to go starting with the church. We're going to go outside the church as well. Because I know just as well as you do, the people that you're sitting with now you typically see them Sundays and maybe at least once during the week. But you also work with a lot of people that don't go to church. You associate with a lot of people that probably don't go to church. Some of your closest friends in life may not even be Christian. And of course there are people out there that would consider themselves your enemies. So today we're gonna look a little bit about what the Bible teaches. How are we to behave, not just in church, but outside of church as well. So today, today's sermon title, in the topic of behaving like a Christian, the title is Love Without Hypocrisy. So with that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 12. Today, I'm going to read from verse 9 to 21. Now, when we read these verses, it's almost like we just opened the book of Proverbs. Because when you read Proverbs, it seems like there's just these random proverbs. That one proverb has nothing to do with the next one. It's like these random thoughts. And sometimes when we come to Romans chapter 12, the text we're reading today, it looks like just a random list of the ways we should be treating people. Like Paul just thought, oh, okay, let me think of another one. And he wrote it down and oh, okay, let's think about this one too. But if you read these things through, they're not random. There is some pattern to what Paul is saying. And I'm gonna do something today that I'm I'm hoping works out. I'm just gonna basically preach by reading one verse at a time and explaining one verse at a time. Hoping that I don't go on for too long, but I just wanna kinda go down the list or go down the verses as I preach today and just pick up little keys from here and there as we learn about all these verses Paul writes to us now. So find that Romans chapter 12, Please stand with me. I'm going to re- begin reading at verse 9. Sometimes I don't even know why I bring my Bible up here because I can't even see the words. My eyes, are, my eyes are too old to see that. So I'm going to use my iPad. The words are much bigger. All right, Romans 12, verse 9. Here it goes. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves But rather, give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. You may be seated. For any of you that study the book of Proverbs, What we just read reminds us a lot about reading Proverbs. But today we want to put these all together, categorize them, because there is a pattern, at least that I see, in what Paul is writing. So in today's sermon, Love Without Hypocrisy, we come to the very first verse, verse 9, which says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And this verse It sort of serves as the drapery over the entire text that we just read today. As a banner over all things. We are to love without hypocrisy. What does that mean? In the Bible, when it mentions a hypocrite or hypocrisy, it literally is talking about someone who plays a part on a stage. Or in other words, an actor. An actor who gets on a stage and pretends to be a character in the story. But what happens when that actor leaves the stage? He's no longer that character. He just pretended to be that person, but he's really this person. That's where the word hypocrisy comes from. And it means for us today, right now, while we are in church, even me, who's literally standing on a stage, church is not a stage where we all come to and pretend... We love people. We pretend we love God. We pretend we're kind and we're compassionate and merciful. And then when we leave church, walk off the stage, we're a completely different person. God is saying, do not be like that. Who you are in church is who you should be even when you go to work or when you go home or when you go to school or when you travel. No, hypocrites love people sincerely from your heart not as hypocrite and he says these two things abhor what is evil which means hate the things reject things that are evil and instead cling to what is good that word cling means be glued to like you're gluing something to yourself and if that's the case everywhere you go at all times it's always glued to you you're always thinking about doing what is right and what is good. Be glued to that attitude. But when it comes to evil, reject it and abhor it. Now, if I'm being honest with you, when I read just that one verse alone, in my mind, when Paul says, abhor the things that are evil, my mind immediately thinks about people in the world who are wicked and evil. And I am to reject their wickedness. Well, that's true. We should feel that way about the wickedness of the world, something that we should reject in our life. But when you read this entire text, Paul's not talking about rejecting the evil the world does. He's talking about the evil you and I tend to do, especially when we're under pressure, especially when things are not going our way, when you are tempted to do something wrong. And how many times do we do the wrong thing? It's our evil that we are to hate. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, who hate the sin that's within them, because you will be comforted through forgiveness and mercy of God. And God will help you to overcome the temptations of life. So this serves as the drapery of everything we're about to read now. Love without hypocrisy love like God does, do you know that the Bible says God is love, amen, and we know that to be true, but we don't know about God's love just because we read it in the Bible, just because we saw the words God is love, that's not the only way we know about it, we know about because we've experienced it, amen, we know God's love because we know how merciful and how much love he's poured into our life. Because love does not just mean calling somebody love. Love is not just saying, I love you. Love is actually an action, something that we do to show the love we have. A husband who says to his wife, I love you, better show it, right wives? Every day we are to prove that what we say is actually true and god has done exactly that he has shown his love to us let me read you a portion of scripture you don't have to turn to it let me just read this first john chapter 4 verse 7 to 11 beloved let us love one another for the for love is of god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows god he who does not love does not know god for god Is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Here's the miracle of it all not that we loved God, that's not the miracle of love. The miracle is that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God didn't just say, I love you. He showed it by sending his son to die for us. In the same way, we are to love like God, not just say it, but to show it to the people you're sitting next to and to the people who are outside as well. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's quite another to show that love. And I believe our relationship with Jesus, a healthy relationship with Jesus, it will produce the outworking of love for all people, not just the body of Christ. Being a Christian never excludes us from loving people. Never. We don't close ourselves in a secret society and love only the people who are part of our club we are to love all people. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I believe that learning to love people, it comes from our relationship with Jesus. So the more I know him, the more I experience his love in my life, the more I learn to love others, the way he has loved me. So because loving people at its center, we need to know Jesus. We need to have his love in us because of that, with that in mind, I want to approach today's verses as though we are hearing Jesus speak to us in an invitational kind of way. And I want us to respond to his invitation when he says, come, serve with me. And not just serve with me, but learn from me. And not just learn from me, but give to me. And that's how I'm going to categorize these verses. Number one, Jesus says, serve with me. Number two, learn from me. Number three, give to me. So let's begin with number one, serve with me. Jesus, the one who came into this world, according to Philippians chapter two, when he came into the world, he came as a bond servant. And Jesus himself said, according to the gospel of Mark, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That same Jesus now calls us and says, now come and serve with me. Well, what does that look like? Let's go through the verses. Verse 10, Paul says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Be kindly affectionate. To show affection to somebody means you need to do something. Again, it's not just speaking. Affection is actually showing tenderness and showing kindness. It's used in the relationship between parents and their children. Parents, do you not show affection to your kids when you hug them, when you hold their hand, when you put an arm around them? Don't you show affection to them? That's what we are to do for one another in the church. In this first section, we're talking about the church. Be kindly affectionate and give preference to one another. Which means, of course, we all have certain rights and certain privileges. But that phrase, prefer one another, means lay aside your rights. Lay aside your privileges. Lay aside your preferences and prefer, prefer to serve another. Instead, look to someone else's need before your own. Humble yourself before another. This is what Jesus did in that Philippians chapter 2. Paul explains to us that Jesus from all eternity past, he was equal to the Father. And he also shared the glory of the Father. The Father and Son sit on the same throne from all eternity past. But according to Philippians 2, Jesus did not hold on to that glory. He didn't hold on to his rights and his privileges of being God. Instead, He preferred you. And he lay aside his glory and came down into this world for you. And Paul teaches us, though, that truth, to teach us what it means to be humble like Jesus. Lay aside your rights. Lay aside your privileges and learn to serve someone else. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't be lazy. Instead, be diligent. Diligent in what? Do you remember what Paul talked about last week? The gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church. When it comes to using those gifts, that's exactly what Paul says. God gives us these gifts and we are to use them. Not talk about them, but use them and be passionate about it. Fervent in spirit, be diligent and be passionate to use your gift for the body of Christ. Be excited about that. That's what it means to be fervent. Be excited by the fact that the Holy Spirit is using each and every one of you to bless another person's life. What a wonderful privilege we have. And of course, Paul says, all of this is serving the Lord. All of it. Those who greeted you at this, this morning at the door, the people who opened the door for you coming to church, they were opening the door for Jesus. Clemens, when he brought up this water to my stand, he was giving water to Jesus. The teachers who are teaching your kids right now, as they're teaching the kids, there's Jesus in the midst of those children with them helping them, ministering to them. Everything you do here is in service to the Lord. The next time you walk up to somebody in church and you begin to encourage them, just imagine Jesus is right there, smiling upon the goodness you're showing to his child. Serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Hope, tribulation, prayer. Do you know hope is what we are all looking forward to. We don't say as Christians, oh, I hope things work out. That's not the hope that we're talking about. Oh, I hope it works. That's not the hope we're talking about. The hope that we have as Christians is certainty, is confidence that what God has in store for me, no one can take from me. That if I'm in the hands of my shepherd, no one can steal me away. To know that what God says about our future eternity, that no mind can understand it. It's above anything we can possibly think or imagine. That's what we rejoice in. A lot of people say, in fact, I just heard it a few days ago. Seeing somebody who was doing something in life and they just commented and said, I'm so glad that you're living your best life. Well, I understand that. But this isn't our best life. Our best life is coming in the future. Our best life is when we see Jesus face to face and I rejoice to think of such a future. Amen? Let me skip tribulation for a minute. Go to prayer. We are to be steadfast in prayer, never giving up, never stop praying, never stop asking, never stop seeking, no matter what happens in your life. Even if it feels like God isn't doing anything, be steadfast in prayer And don't ever lose that fellowship with the Lord. Every day. Now, tribulation is sandwiched in between these two things. Rejoicing in the hope and also steadfast in prayer. In the middle is tribulation. Do you know we all go through tribulation? We all go through suffering, pain, and trials. Why? Why do we go through such things? Well, I believe God allows tribulations in our life to teach us that this world has no lasting thing for you. The more we suffer in a world of wickedness and evil, the more we can rejoice and say, oh God, one day I'm leaving this place and one day I'm going to be with you forever. We might not think of those things today, but I guarantee that there are churches in the world today, churches that are literally being set on fire Broken down, Christians arrested, Christians in prison, Christians being killed. And I guarantee you, they are rejoicing knowing that one day Jesus is coming again. They rejoice to think about heaven. When all is well and you feel wonderful and blessed, you might forget about the good thing that's coming in the future. Why does God allow tribulation to keep our minds focused on the wonderful future He has for us, where our hope lies? Why does God allow suffering? Well, if you're like me, when I suffer, I tend to pray a lot. More than I normally do. My prayers will be filled with worship and with crying. And, and, and I'll do it in the morning. I'll do it in the evening, all day long. When I'm in need, of course, I always pray. But what happens when blessing comes? You feel comfortable? Everything's great at work? Your family's doing fine. What do we tend to forget about? Prayer. But then the tribulation comes and we start praying again. God can use tribulation and we are to be patient through it because we should appreciate the fact that God is still working even in times of tribulation. Let your trial today remind you of the glory that's coming. Let your trial today remind you we must seek the Lord every day through blessing and through trials. Let's always seek the Lord. Verse 13, we are to distribute to the needs of the saints and to be given to hospitality. When you see someone in need, do something about it. Whatever that is, whatever means you have in order to help, do something for someone who's in need. And we are to be given to hospitality. To be given means it's a constant pursuit. I'm always trying to figure out new ways to be hospitable. Hospitable means we can actually look at it like this. It's like when you invite somebody over your house for Connect Group. All of you who are Connect hosts and you open your home for people to come and fellowship with each other and pray together, that's called hospitality. Hospitality. And the Lord invites all of us to have that attitude, to invite people into your life, to encourage them, to open your home as a place where people can come and fellowship with each other, grow in faith with each other, pray together. That's hospitality. And we are to be given to it. The word given means it's a, it's a constant pursuit of something. It, it can be used in a positive way and also in a negative way if you're pursuing the wrong things. But to be given over to hospitality, it means we're always looking how to satisfy someone else's need. What can I do, Lord, to help somebody in their trouble? How can I open my life? How can my family begin to socialize and fellowship with fellow believers that we can be an encouragement to somebody else? Given to hospitality. Do you know when we do these things, we are not just serving each other. We are serving the Lord. Let me tell you how Jesus puts it. Jesus says when he returns, and those on his right hand are coming into his kingdom, and those on the left hand are not. At that moment, the king, Jesus, speaks to those on his right. Here's what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me And then the righteous will say Jesus when did we do that? when did we do this when 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 and Jesus will respond, Assuredly, I say to you, And as much as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. When you love and you care for one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, according to Jesus, you're serving him. So what is Jesus teaching us? The way he came into the world to serve mankind He's calling us to serve alongside of him. Serve with me, he says to us. And we are to love each other and be concerned about each other and meet the needs of one another. Number two, learn from me. Jesus, the one who says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls all of us to yoke ourselves together with him. And as we walk with him side by side, he says, now learn from me. Do as I do. Love as I love. And now Paul brings us outside of church. Learn from me. Verse 14 Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That word persecute is the negative side of being given over to something. In other words, we are to be constantly pursuing, how can I help? How can I invite people in? Persecution means I'm constantly thinking about, how can I hurt them? How can I mock them? How can I show my anger against them? Persecution is a constant pursuit of people that are hated. And Jesus says, when you are persecuted, even then we are to bless those who persecute us. And bless and do not curse. Notice, persecution now is in the middle, and on either side is bless. So even the people who are constantly after you, constantly talking about you, constantly hurting you, we are to bless them and bless them again. Return blessing to them. Do you know who did this? Jesus. Jesus, who was constantly persecuted, constantly being chased after. They tried to arrest him. And finally, finally when they did, they beat him over and over again. They scourged him many, many times with whips and with rods. They took nails and they pierced his hands and his feet into a cross and then they lifted him up naked for all to see. They constantly persecuted him. What did Jesus do? He blessed them. Ow, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Do you know how great of a blessing that was? The very men who nailed him to a cross When Jesus spoke those words, when he died, those same men came to the knowledge, indeed, this was the Son of God. What a blessing Jesus gave to those men who persecuted him. We are to bless those who persecute us. We're also to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Yes, we do that for one another, but again, we're talking about people that you know outside of church. When they rejoice, the Lord says, rejoice with them. When they experience good things in life, rejoice with them. When they weep, learn to weep with them. We're sort of to match their moods. Jesus went to a funeral and he went to a wedding. At a wedding, He was there at the greatest, highest point of somebody's life. At the funeral, he was at the lowest point of someone's life. And at the wedding, Jesus was a guest. And I can tell you, I'm sure he rejoiced with them that they came as husband and wife at that wedding. And when they ran out of wine, and the bride and bridegroom are about to be embarrassed by such a thing, here comes Jesus almost secretly coming along and turning water into Do you know, he didn't get all the glory for that. Not all the people knew he was the one that did it. In fact, the bridegroom was the one congratulated for it. You think Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. He didn't do that. That was me. I don't think so. I think when that bridegroom rejoiced, because now the day is saved, Jesus rejoiced as well. And he goes to a funeral. Lazarus has died Jesus knew Lazarus. He also knew his family. And when he got there and saw all the people weeping, some of the same people who rejected Jesus, the same people who would soon cry out, crucify him. When he saw them weeping, he wept with them. Jesus rejoiced with those who rejoice and wept with those who wept. We're called to the same. I saw a video a uh, couple of weeks ago, and maybe Brother Steve and Brother Ronnie, maybe the only ones that know about this. Or maybe Boris does to us. There you are, Boris. Because some of us watched the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. Right, Steve? Let's go Chiefs. We watched the Super Bowl. It was the Chiefs against the Eagles. Well, what I didn't know was that there are two brothers playing against each other. The Kelsey brothers, Travis Kelsey and... What is it? Jason Kelsey, Travis Kelsey was on the Chiefs. They won. And of course, at the end of the game, everybody's coming onto the field. Some are congratulating each other. Some are hugging things out and people are rejoicing. And I saw in a video, Travis Kelsey is ecstatic. He just won the Super Bowl. And so he's shouting out, he's giving high fives. He's hugging his teammates. And then here comes his mom. Mama Kelsey comes and she hugs her son and she cheers with him. She laughed with him. And he says something like, how about that, mom? What do you think of this? And she rejoiced with her son. And then on the next clip, here's the other Kelsey brother, who is much different in emotions because he just lost the Super Bowl. And in fact, he had just said, where's my family? And just then, here comes his mom. And as her son wept, she wept with him and hugged him and embraced him and told them how much she loved him. Two different men going through very different emotions. What was the same between them? One mother with one love for the both of them. She knew how to rejoice with one and weep with the other. That's what we're called to do. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Don't think you know everything about what someone else is going through. It says here, be of the same mind toward one another. All this talk about love, humility, affection, hospitality, speaking blessing, this is for all people, not just for your Christian brothers and sisters. We are called to be this way. Be of the same mind no matter who we are interacting with. Jesus loved a man named Nicodemus. He was rich. He was popular. He was looked up to. He was a very religious man. Jesus loved him just as much as he loved the woman at the well in Samaria. A woman who was not well thought of in her society. A woman who was lonely in life and rejected and considered a sinner by many. Jesus loved them both. He was of the same mind toward them and we're called to be the same. Many years ago, I remember in my bank, every branch, every local branch got a list of customers and it was the top 20 customers of our branch, meaning of all the customers that we have, these 20 are the most profitable for our bank. And they gave us that list because they wanted to make sure we give them very good treatment when they come into the bank. Let's make sure they're always happy. Let's make sure we meet their needs. Let's make sure we're courteous and polite. Why? Because they bring us a lot of money. And so all the branches were given their top 20. And after a week or so went by, I was in my office at the time. I managed my own unique branch. And I heard my associates in the morning talking about all these names. And I heard things like, well, who's this person? I don't even know them. Who is Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so? Wait a minute, is that the one who, okay. And they're trying to learn who are these 20 because we need to make sure we treat them well. And when I heard that, I went out there and I said, you know what, put the list away. How about we do this? Whoever comes into our branch building, treat them as though they're a top 20. How about we just learn to treat everyone the same? Respect, polite, courteous. I don't care how much money someone brings into the bank and I understand why the bank does this, but I'm not going to treat somebody who's rich differently than I treat somebody who's not rich. Let's just be courteous to everyone. How about that? And in the same way, we are to love all people. We have the same mind, no matter who it is we are interacting with. And last, number three, give to me. Serve with me learn from me and now the Lord says give to me give what well he says here verse 17 repay no evil for evil when someone does evil to you do not repay it with evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men what does it mean to repay not repay evil for evil This morning when I was thinking about that and trying to think of an example, I was thinking about more than 20 years ago when Miss Suzanne Subecti was on her way to church here with her daughter, Siphera, our sister and pastor. When they came to church, little did they know that somebody put a bomb on their car. And when they pulled the car into the garage downstairs, just as Siphera got out of the car, the bomb exploded. And through all that, Her mom's life was in danger. She lost her leg, as you know of her today. She almost died. See, Pharaoh almost died. When all was said and done, what do you think their response was? Because somebody just did an evil thing against them. How shall they repay them? Now, if it were me and I would be thinking about, yes, someone just tried to take my life, but I would be so angry that my daughter was almost hurt. That would make me angry. Anybody else here, human? Would you be angry with me? Yeah? And so the whole world would excuse them for thinking evil against evil, to pay them back for what they've done. But you know what attitude came from not just Miss Suzanne and C. but the whole family? It was forgiveness, forgiveness. God does not want them to pay evil for evil. So instead they sought for what is good before all people. Everybody here in Samarang knows that story, knows that in the end, this family forgave those who tried to hurt and kill them. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Yes, you can't control somebody else, You can't control somebody else's behavior or attitude, but you know what you can control? You. The Holy Spirit who lives within you, he helps you with the fruit called self-control. And God expects you as much as depends on you because you can't change somebody else. But at least on your part, be at peace. Try to live peaceably with your neighbor, with that person that annoys you at work try to be at peace with them. Behold, or I'm sorry, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What are we to do with wrath and and vengeance? We are to give it to the Lord, because the Lord is judge over all. And God says, I will have vengeance. I will repay, not you. Give it to me and I'll take care of it. Sometimes the Lord will take care of things immediately or maybe he'll do it in eternity. We don't know. The point is we're to give it to him and allow him to defend us. Allow him to handle the situation. My sister-in-law, Emma, many years ago was working in her marketing department and there was a project they were working on and Emma did what she was told to do. Exactly how she was told to do it. But when it was all done, what, what was done was actually not quite correct. And so the initial response was, Emma, you didn't do it right. Emma, this is your fault, you made the mistake. When actually she just did what another group of people told her to do. And so everybody was blaming Emma. And she felt really disturbed by that and didn't know what to do. And she thought this might be something I get fired about. And then she decided, all I can do is just say, Lord, you be judge. Defend me. Protect me. And so when Emma was asked the question, she just told them honestly. And she just gave it to the Lord. And in the end, the true problem was found out. And the true people who were in charge of that problem were found out. And apologies were made, and things were forgotten. And Emma's reputation was very good in the company. How? Because she learned to hand it over to the Lord. God will defend you. He will. May not be immediately, but at some point, he will stand for you and defend you. Whatever has happened in your life, don't seek revenge. Give it to the Lord and let him handle it the way he's going to. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's strange. This is a very radical way of living, isn't it? God's not just asking us, when your enemies speak about you, just ignore it. Just, just, just walk away from it. No, he's not telling us exactly to do that. When somebody persecutes you, oh, just try to forget about it and just move on with your life. That's not what he's saying either. According to this, when that same enemy is hungry, feed him. When that same enemy is thirsty, give her something to drink. That's radical. But you know what happens? God can do a radical thing through that. Because the Bible says here that when we do this, we heap... (laughs) coals of fire on their head. What is that? And do you wanna be responsible for throwing fire on somebody's head? What does that even mean? Well, it's quoting something from the Old Testament. It's quoting a proverb. And it's believed that in the culture of the ancient world, when a man did something wrong against his neighbor or something in the community, did something wrong, spoke in a wrong way, if he comes to repentance, and admits he did something wrong, he would show the whole community by taking a basket of hot coals, putting it on his head and walking around the community. Why? I don't know. But it showed everybody, here is a man who's confessing he was wrong. He's repenting. So what does it mean that we are helping in that situation? When you feed someone who's hungry, and you give somebody something to drink who is thirsty when you do that for your enemy you are showing goodness to them am i right and according to the bible the bible says that it's the goodness of god that leads us to repentance and so do you think it's possible that instead of you fighting and getting back at someone instead if you bless them do you think god can use that goodness that you have shown to bring that person to repentance Absolutely. Amen. God can do exactly that. He calls us to a radical lifestyle, something that's unknown in this world, because God wants to do a radical thing in people's lives. And last, we've come to the end. We did it. It Took a while. But in this give to me section, we come to this last verse. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. In other words, when something evil happens in your life, and it will, don't let that get you down. Don't let it cause you to doubt. Don't let it make your faith shrink away. Don't let it make you become angry with God and blame him for things that's going on in your life. Don't be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. How do we overcome evil? Well, you can remember this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, even the evil things that happen in your life, God can make all things work together for good in your life. Joseph, many, many years ago, In the book of Genesis, Joseph was hated by his own brothers. They hated him. They were jealous of him. They abused him. They threw him into a pit. They wanted him to die. And eventually they sold him as a slave into Egypt, where he was further persecuted and put into prison. And the Bible says in all the while, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph never forgot about that. And I believe Joseph learned All the evil that had been done, you just give it to the Lord. Just learn to give it to the Lord and trust him. What happened by the end of Joseph's life? He became basically the prince of all the land of Egypt. God highly exalted Joseph. And after Joseph's father died, and his brothers came to him, afraid that he would kill them. Joseph, of course, promised he would never do such a thing. But Joseph reviewed all that had happened to him by his brothers, and here's what he said. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The evil you did against me, God used it all for good, because look at me now. Do you know God still works the same way in all of us today? Do you know the greatest evil that has ever been done in the history of the world was when evil men put their hands upon the Son of God and they beat him and scourged him and pulled the beard out of his face. They stripped him naked and then they nailed him to a cross. The greatest evil the world had ever done was when men put their hands on Jesus the Christ. But yet at that same moment when man did their most evil, God did his most good because it's through Jesus and through him alone that we have received forgiveness of sin in eternal life. Who can do such things as God? Can you give to him all your anxieties and pains? If you can, he will make all things work together for good. That Roman soldier who took a Roman spear and pierced the side of Jesus, he brought forth the blood that saves us and cleanses us from all our sin. What man meant for evil, God made it for good. This is why we give to him all our pains. Are you hurt today? Are you hurt? Are you betrayed? Has someone spoken against you? Is it on and on and on that they do this? If so, come to the cross and give it to Jesus. The Bible says he is our burden bearer. Bring it to him. Give it to him. And in return, you are healed and receive mercy and the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Musicians, would you come?